the key thing here is how do you identify your assets? Hello, thank you for joining us. This is What Counts, a podcast created by Trailblazer Consulting. Here, we highlight proven solutions developed through our experience working with companies across various industries, and we talk about how you can apply these solutions to your company. We share our experience solving information management challenges, like creating and implementing a records retention schedule, creating an asset data hierarchy, or helping with email management. Lee, I'm so excited to continue our conversation about asset data because it is one of the most fascinating parts of our work, I think. So last time we started out by talking about how do you even know if you have an asset data problem? And I talked about the different ways that we have come to these conclusions with our different clients and how we now recognize the patterns of there's an infrastructure company, there's an asset at the center of it, there's all the different business processes around it, and scattered data in different systems. You got us to a great place at the end around, okay, so the, the key thing here is how do you identify your assets? So where do we go from there? Well, believe it or not, there are organizations out there that keep asset financial data in an enterprise resource planning system like SAP. Keep asset project data on SharePoint site or sites. Keep asset drawings in a computer-aided design system, asset maintenance records in a computerized maintenance management system, and building information modeling representations in another repository. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Contracts for managing the assets are kept in a contract management system. Doesn't that sound like all perfectly aligned? What I just described actually sounds like a very solid structure for all those separate components. Does your organization have an individual system for managing the separate data? Or does your organization have multiple systems housing portions, sections, parts of the data that build up to the best possible representation of a complete picture of your organization's assets? Do multiple systems that house portions of the asset data throughout your organization all call the assets by the same name? This is what we're trying to get to when we try to explain asset data management. It is. And I like the way you started with, this seems like a perfectly reasonable, solid approach, keeping financial data in an ERP system, keeping contract data in a contract management system, and keeping your building data, whether it's building information modeling, BIM data, construction data, or engineering and work management, work orders in a maintenance management system. And it does sound very reasonable. And that's why a lot of people have done it that way. However, when it comes time to connect the dots, that's where people run into trouble because your finance system is tracking by company code and cost center, maybe maybe a more detailed line item breakdown of cost and revenue. Your contract management system is tracking by the contract. So you may have contracts that went into the construction of the building. You may have contracts that were part of the design of the building. You almost certainly have contracts that are about maintenance of the building. And buried in each one of those contracts is an identifier of the building that's being designed, built, or maintained. 
Then you've got your maintenance management system, your, your CAD systems, your BIM systems that are all holding very detailed data about this building and calling things different names. They're capturing data at different levels of granularity and they're calling it by a different name. So you wanna report on, for instance, we have a field of utility scale wind turbines. We have a, a wind farm and you wanna know how much money is that wind farm making you? How many megawatts of power is that wind farm producing? Well, you've got your operational systems that are capturing the megawatts. You've got your maintenance systems that are telling you what you're spending on maintaining the wind farm. You've got the construction information and the original finance information about how much it costs to build the thing. Try and bring those all together and they all have different identifiers at the center of them and they've got that data at different levels of granularity and you need an analyst who's gonna read all the data, go to all the systems, pull it together into a spreadsheet, do some manipulation and come up with, here's what I think we're making off of that wind farm. Uh, and not to disparage the analysts, they're all working really hard, but you get a new analyst and they have a new way to do it. Or there's a new piece of information and it doesn't get documented in this year's report. Or there was a downturn because there was a flood and the wind turbines had to be turned off. Um, for a month unexpectedly, and that's captured in a different system and it didn't make it to the final report. So what you want, if you're an asset intensive organization is you want all of the data to use the same identifiers at the same level of granularity. That doesn't mean every system has to capture data at all the lower levels of granularity, but it means that if you are a system that's capturing at a low level of granularity, you, and you roll up data, you want it to roll up systematically and consistently to an identifier that matches with the identifiers in the other parts of the organization, in the other systems. And that work, that identifier work is the key that opens the door here. If you can get that right, you can get those agreed identifiers mapped that doesn't mean they have to be the exact same in every system. It just means you have to know what the mapping is. And then you can use a data analytics tool or a reporting tool to actually pull things together. We have a lot of technology at hand now that can map mismatched data as long as the logic is there. So I just want to throw a curveball at you, Maura, and that is your company decides to acquire a new field. And they keep information in different systems, different type of systems. And they have over a hundred years worth of legacy data that they still have maybe in drawings or something like that. How do you go about like matching that or what, what would be the issue there? Thanks for that. That is actually a common problem. Maybe not so much in the wind turbine space, but let's talk about oil and gas. And most of the pipelines in the country are hundred years old, 50 to hundred years old. There's new construction happening in the oil and gas field. There's new rigs, there are new oil wells, there's new fracking stations, new compressors, but there's a lot of legacy data. And there's also a lot of acquisitions and mergers happening every day. So, 
I were that company and I had figured out my own data problem where I've got that top level agreement on what am I going to call each site geographically? What am I going to call each project as I'm building it? What am I going to call each compressor station or well or pipeline? And then from the pipeline to pipeline segments. If I've got that figured out and I'm ready to, and I'm going to buy something new, I'm going to look for those same identifiers. I'm going to look for the first, the site names. How did the old company refer to the geography, the geographic site where this asset sits? Let's say we're talking about a compressor station and a pipe gas gathering system. So we have compressor stations, facilities, and we have the pipelines that make up the gathering system. What was the site location that the old company called it? Okay, that's going to be the new name, but we're going to give it a unique identifier that matches the naming convention that we are using for our geographic locations already. So we keep the old name. It's an alias. So people who know it can find it, but we give it a new site location identifier. But there's there's got to be standards for this, right? If you look it up on the web, there's got to be standards that give you a naming convention or give you the proper way to align an asset and so forth? So there are some rules or principles, but, but actually each company is doing it how they want. So there are some things that are shared. If you want to use the, um, you know, the American Petroleum Institute has named large fields where oil and gas might be found and they have a unique identifier. That's useful, but it doesn't get you to the detail that you need. So you can track that, but it's it's going to be an extra attribute. It's not going to help you with your site. Because as you said, some people will say old John's farm and that's how they know the asset. And that actually finds its way into the system that they're using and it becomes a, a common name and Really, now you're starting to throw off the standards that you're supposed to be using and the difference between what you're calling it and another department your organization is calling something. Right. So what you're when you bring something in, what you're going to look for is those key elements that you've defined. You've defined site as a geographic site. You've defined the facility as a compressor station or an operating station and you've defined gas gathering system or pipeline, and then you've defined below that segments, pipeline segments. So you are gonna look for, and you've got a unique identifying approach for each one of those levels. And you are going to look for what is that called in this set of data that we're bringing in. And it may be called you may have a branch pipe, you know, off your main pipeline, there's a branch system that's called Mr. Brown's branch. You're going to find Mr. Brown's branch in the data that you are bringing in. You are going to assign that a pipeline branch number based on your identifying structure. You still can keep Mr. Brown's branch because the people that you're bringing in with that asset, if you acquire a whole company, they know that name but you've added your unique identifier and that's the one that you're going to use to integrate with your systems to share data and do your reporting. 
and that could be done as a tag on the in the back end where the people who use Mr. Brown's branch won't even know it that it's being changed or being associated to a different unique identifier. Right. So it definitely depends on the format of the data that you're receiving. You know, was the other company using the same financial system that you're using? So you've got company codes and asset identifiers in there that you can just migrate into your system. Or are you going to do an interim step, a data mapping before you migrate data in and relegate the old name or the old number to an extra field? It's another attribute in your system that you're bringing the data into. This is a logic question. This is a research question. You get this data, you know what your structure is, and you look for the pieces of data in the incoming data set that match what you've defined as your structure. So you've defined site, facility, pipeline, branch, segment, asset. You find how they've defined pipe, site, facility, pipeline, branch, and asset. And you take their names and you or their identifiers and you match them to your, your definitions and you assign new identifiers that you will then use to migrate that old data into your system. So now you have an apples to apples comparison. If they haven't defined all those same levels that you've defined, then you define them for the new data set. So if they didn't go down below the pipeline to the branches or the pipeline segments, but you know that you need them to make your operations work, you assign new identifiers at that level for them. This is, a, this is a tedious process, but the more that you do it, the more consistent it is, the better off you are because now you're not trying to make reporting work when you've got one data set that has a very clear structure about all the assets that existed prior to the acquisition. And then you've got this other data set that talks about the whole state of Texas, and and you can't match that to your, you know, to the to the levels of granularity that you've become accustomed to, and that you need in your reporting or to support support your business processes. So this shared asset data hierarchy that you're talking about, once an organization develops it goes through all of the necessary steps to develop such a thing and stays with it from a consistency perspective from acquisitions and so forth. Here now, what you're doing is you're reducing the potential for out-of-date information. You're reducing the potential for incomplete or inaccurate information. And you're definitely removing the inconsistent terminology that often leads to maybe even a loss of vital pieces. So it, there's nothing but benefits to an organization. The flip side would be what? Spending millions, maybe even billions of trying to reconcile all the information that you've, you're getting from all these systems to one main system? I just want to add a couple of benefits before I answer that question. This also will increase your reporting efficiency 
increase your visibility into the operational health of your asset base because you can do more real-time comparisons when you're not chasing data down. And if you want to divest something, because the flip side of all these acquisitions is divestitures, then you can easily identify all of the data that's about an asset that you want to sell and pull that right out of your systems and give it to the buyer, which is a huge, huge thing. Instead of scrambling to figure out how do we give them only what they should have and not stuff we don't want them to take. So I think those are some more benefits. That's the, a great point. It's a great point. The alternative is that you could try and force every system in your organization to track data at all of these levels of granularity, even though it's not necessary for the different business processes. So let's take the contract management system, for instance. It manages contracts at the contract level. And we are suggesting that you would add an attribute to each contract that identifies an agreed level of asset data. It might be the site, it might be the facility, it might be a pipeline, whatever the, the right level is based on the type of contract. And so certain contracts apply to certain parts of your asset base. So if you're talking about a pipeline maintenance contract, then you need to track the pipeline against that contract. And then when you look at that pipeline in the CMMS or in any of the other systems, you see the pipeline identifier, you know that this is the maintenance agreement for it in the contract management system. And you know that the costs are rolling up to the facility and you can track the, that contract cost in your finance system from the pipeline to the facility to your finance system. So if you tried to force the contract to exist at the facility level and the pipeline level and the site level, and then also tried to force your finance system to track that data, that cost data at the site and the facility and the pipeline level, you'd be repeating data that is unnecessary for doing what the contract management system needs to do, which is track the contract, or doing what the finance system needs to do, which is track depreciation at the top level of assets, track taxes based on county jurisdictions and state lines for a pipeline that, that crosses multiple jurisdictions and other, and other things. That finance system doesn't need the same level of granularity that your maintenance management system needs. So making your finance system work at that lower level of granularity makes your finance system very clunky and inefficient. Making your contract system manage at that lower level of granularity makes it very clunky and inefficient. But making these connections means that each system can continue to operate in its own sphere, that sphere that you described at the beginning as a good, a good structure and good alignment by business process, but you've made the connections so that you can do the roll up or the, or the breakdown depending on where you're starting in your data process. I like that. And I think that's a good ending for this, this episode. If you have any questions, please send us an email at info at trailblazer.us.com or look us up on the web at www.trailblazer.us.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in to our next episode. Also, if you like this episode, please share it with people in your social media network. That'll help us get the word out and help more people. As always, we appreciate you, the listeners. 
special thanks goes out to Jason Blake, who created our intro music. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.